coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. What we're doing is letting you, your feet are supposed to bend and move and flex and feel. You have a quarter of the bones and joints of your whole body in your feet and ankles and more nerve endings in your soles than anywhere but your fingertips and lips. So you're supposed to use those things for balance and mobility and agility. And the feeling part is really important. If your brain can't feel what's happening with your feet, it doesn't know how to use the rest of your body. So we're trying to make footwear that lets your feet do their job so the rest of your body can do its job. Because if your feet can't do their job, all that function about balance, agility, mobility tries, tries unsuccessfully to move upstream to your ankle, your knee, your hip, and your back. So we're just, again, getting out of the way to let your muscles, ligaments, and tendons be the natural springs and shock absorbers that they are that's better than any man-made material that's ever been invented. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Today on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Stephen Sashin, who is the founder and CEO of Zero Shoes. We talk about a lot of different things in this episode, and I know that most people probably don't know this about me, but I absolutely love Zero Shoes. I've, it's pretty well what I live my life in. I live in Northeast Ohio, so we have obviously brutal winters, and pretty well the only time that I take my sandals off is when it starts snowing, so then I have zero shoes to be able to wear during the winter, so absolutely love the product. Steven is an entrepreneur through and through. I don't even know how many people we've interviewed now, over 100 people at this point, and Steven is actually the first person, the first entrepreneur that we've had on the show that has never had a real job. He's never had to go and interview for a job. He's never you know, really had a, a, a true job. So he's he was born an entrepreneur and he's doing amazing things. So we get into some of the trials and tribulations of building a, a shoe brand and how difficult it is and you know creating something that no one else has really created either. That had all kinds of challenges as well. So we get into a lot of really interesting topics today and I hope that you enjoy today's episode of Pass the Secret Sauce with Stephen Session. I had one memory and one thing, something that's not a memory. So I'll start with the thing that's not a memory. When my wife, who grew up in Chicago, good Midwestern girl, I brought her back to my family. We grew up outside of DC. So she's a good Midwestern girl. We're an East Coast Jewish family. Mm -hmm. And at one point she pulls me aside and said, why are you all yelling at each other? I said, who's yelling? So, so there's that. So there was lots of heated conversation, apparently. The other memory I have is being being a really little kid. I've never liked meat since the day I was born. Okay. Apparently, I have some genetic thing where I don't actually taste savory flavors. So meat just tastes kind of metallic and icky. Interesting. Um, so my memory is sitting under the dining room table where my father told me I had to sit until I could finish that pork chop, which <laughs> I kept stuffed in my cheek and for three hours until he finally relented and said, all right, get out of here. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Now, do you have any siblings or anything? Or I have a younger sister. Yeah. 
cool. Very cool. And and uh, so obviously you've had great success with uh, with your your shoe line. But did you have any entrepreneurial tendencies growing up at all? Were you, you know, trying to sell things or? Uh, yes, only since day one. Yeah. So my first, I think my first business was polishing my dad's shoes. He was a bit of a shoe whore and my dad was a dentist, dressed really well. So I got 25 cents for a pair of shoes, 50 cents for a pair of boots. And amazingly, his shoes always needed to be polished. Yeah. Uh, my second entrepreneurial venture was figuring out how to break into his piggy bank, um, <laughs> and um, which I thought I had done successfully for, you know, when I was a kid. And then maybe 10 years ago, he said to me, you know, that I was well aware that you were stealing all the quarters from that. <laughs> No, I did not. He still, he still remembers. That's great. Yeah, okay. <laughs> he, he did not forget because the combination for his, his, his piggy bank is a little, what's the word I'm looking for? Post office box safe. Yeah. Yeah. Dial combination. The combination was AM, which stood for all mine. So <laughs> the fact that I was taking some infringed upon that idea. And then, yeah, I mean, I, I was always looking for something to do as a way of earning money as a kid. And I tried lots of weird little things from the back of magazines, like metal social security cards. I'd go door to door when I was a little kid, didn't work. But when I was 12, I started doing magic at kids' birthday parties. So oh, I wow. was a professional kids' birthday party magician from the time I was 12 till the time I was 17. And then I was a street performer. And then I became a stand-up comic. I've never had a job. I've never interviewed for a job. Yeah. I've never had a resume. I just have been lucky that I keep thinking of ideas that are interesting to me that somehow make me a living. What do you think makes you want to do that? I mean, I, I don't, I'm not even quite sure how to phrase this. I think yeah, you're yeah. the first person who's, who's you know, never applied for a, a job that, that we've had, which is, I, I love that. I love that. I, I haven't had a job, you know, since I was 21 or so I've, you know, been, but I had a couple of jobs that I had to apply for. So, so how do you... Uh, what do you think that drive yeah. came from? I mean, what do you, where do you well, think that creativity I a, came from? I have a couple of, a couple of theories, but, I, but first I have to tell you when, when I was, I must've been a junior in college. My sister was getting going in her freshman year and she called me and said, you know, how much allowance did dad give you when you were a freshman? I said, allowance. I haven't gotten an allowance since I was 12. She goes, okay, don't tell him I called. So, <laughs> so I think the SBA or someone did some research years ago and the number one determining factor for someone being entrepreneurial is having entrepreneurial parents. Mm -hmm. And my dad had his own dental practice. My mother was a business consultant, had a number of jobs. Her father owned his own store. He was a jeweler. I don't remember what my father's parents did, but both Lena and I, my wife and I come from a long lineage of entrepreneurial people. Mm -hmm. And so that I'm sure is part of it. But I think some of it is also just some another genetic problem where I just, it just never occurred to me not to do things yeah, that I found yeah. interesting. And yeah. for whatever reason, those things always, if you did them well, there was money attached to them. I remember when I first went out to my first time street performing, which is in DC, my parents were aghast. I mean, they viewed it as one step down from prostitution. Uh -huh. And so when I came back though, and dumped out my backpack full of, you know, a couple hundred dollars worth of coins and bills, they were thrilled. And I think my dad still, he always thought that street performing and performing in general was a bit déclassé, but I just didn't care. It was mm -hmm. something that I found enjoyable. People liked what I was doing. And, and so why not? Yeah. Yeah. How, how'd you get into comedy? Stand up comedy? Ay, ay, ay. Well, again, I started doing magic when I was a kid and there was always a comedic element to that. And then the thing that really was the pivotal moment, there was two, two pieces to it. One was when I was in college, a comedy club opened down the street from us and I went and auditioned there. I guess that's you know the closest thing I had to an actual job. And they let me be the house MC. Mm -hmm. And then I um, 
uh, when I was in college, they had a comedy competition and I won the competition and they had brought in three comics from New York to perform and to judge the competition. And they all came up to me and said, if you wanted to do this professionally, you could do that. And so I had a letter from Northwestern Business School saying that I could go there for free if I wanted to. And I showed that to my dad and I said, I just got 10 weeks of comedy booked on the road. I'm going on the road. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. And, and over time, I, in the comedy world, magicians are looked at as lower than the guys who clean up after the elephants in the circus. Mm -hmm. So I slowly started dropping the magic and just doing more and more comedy. It was something I, was, I always loved. My first, the first two comedy shows I went to, the first one was Jerry Seinfeld opening for a guy called Uncle Dirty, who was oh, the wow. first guy that I opened for when I became a professional comic. And the second was uh, Bill Maher opening for Jay Leno. Oh, wow. And I'm standing in the back with Jay watching Bill and I'm laughing hysterically. And Jay is just sitting there like watching like this. And yeah. I said, how are you not, how are you not laughing? He goes, uh, you a comedian? I said, well, I'm just getting started. He goes, yeah, call me in a couple of years. You'll understand. Yeah. And, and then a couple of years later, I'm opening for Jay and we both remembered that situation and had a good laugh over it. That's great. That's great. No, I, that, that that's, that is really cool. So you, you did the comic thing. Mm -hmm. What was the, what was the next, what was the next evolution? When did you start Dude, the next yeah if we if we just go down my list of things that i've started we'll be here all day okay <laughs> so but i'll do the short one while i was doing comedy i had a lot of spare time um, which was a blast but i was also trying to think of what else was interesting to me and i ended up going to columbia university the master's film school film program mm -hmm. and while i was there i realized that the software for writing screenplays was horrible and i came up with a better way and i invented what became the industry standard word processing software for film and television writers oh wow so i did that for 10 12 years um, actually i still have the product and then oh man i did a bunch of stuff but um the the best was in 2000 or when was this from 99 to 2000 one, my wife and I were doing some very clever real estate investing with a partner, and that allowed us to be effectively retired from 2000 to 2009. Okay, very cool. And and when did when did the so obviously your maybe arguably your biggest success is Zero Shoes. I I've yeah. got them on right now. I love them. Got sandals, which like I said, I can't wait to be able to put them on when when it gets a little bit warmer. And so great, great product, you know, so thank you for, for, for creating them. But when did that, when did that come about and how did you get the inspiration to be able to get into that? Yeah. Well, it was less inspiration to get into it than um, naivete and optimism and stupidity. So we had, we had some guys who, who all started in the footwear business 35 years earlier, sitting at our dining room table, like seven months into our business saying, we would help start this with you and run this with you. Cause we believe in you and we believe in what you're doing, which is about natural movement. Mm -hmm. uh, but we've been in footwear so long that we're not stupid enough to try and start a shoe company. And Lane and I said, yeah, we're hyper-optimistic and naive, but yeah. That's what it takes. So what happened was I had gotten back into sprinting after a 30 year break when I was 45. So 13 plus years ago, and I was getting injured all the time. And a friend of mine suggested I run barefoot to see what I learned. And the short version is I learned why I was getting injured, how to stop getting injured. So I wanted that natural movement, barefoot like experience, but I wanted to be able to get into restaurants without having to argue that yes, it is legal to be barefoot in a restaurant. Yeah. So I made a pair of sandals just based on a multi-thousand-year-old design mm -hmm. and made them for other for friends. And they told two friends and they told two friends. And finally, this guy named Michael Sandler was writing a book on barefoot running. Mm -hmm. He said, if you treated this sandal-making hobby like a business and had a website, I'd put you in the book. So I rush home. I pitch this brilliant opportunity to my wife who assures me I'm a complete idiot and it won't work and it won't make any money. It's a waste of time and it's just a distraction from other things. And I said, yeah, you're right. 
And so after she went to bed, I built a website and uh, it just, it just took off. And we really thought for a number of years that, that the do it yourself sandals or the custom made version of that was going to be our business. Mm -hmm. And Virtus Technology is a custom business software solution provider. Are you tired of manual entry into an old system that creates more work than it helps? Does your company suffer from constant pain and frustration around its business processes? Do you spend a lot of time and money trying to hunt information down or figure out what is happening in your business? Virtus Technology can help solve all of this. We evaluate your current processes and then create custom software or mobile apps to automate and streamline your business process, eliminating a lot of those pains and frustrations. Unlike other systems, our goal is to digitize your current processes and systems so that your staff's learning curve is very small. If you're ready to take your business operations to the next level, give Virtus Technology a call today. Then we just started following the lead of our customers. They'd say, I love what you're doing, but I'm not going to make them myself. So we made a ready to wear version of that basic sandal. I love what you're doing, but I need something for when it's I'm going to work or when it's cold. So we had our first ready to wear, our first closed toe shoe in 2016. Um, and it's just evolved from there uh, very organically and with an unbelievable amount of good fortune and luck and a bunch of hard work too. But the luck outweighs the brains and hard work by a mm -hmm. long shot. Mm -hmm. Was the book that you were proposed to be in called Born to Run? Was that that one? No, <clears throat> this was a book called uh, Barefoot Running. Born to Run oh. came out in 2009 as well. And that was, uh, we used to joke that that book and the author, Chris McDougall, were our unofficial marketing department for the first okay. couple of years. Because yeah. everywhere Chris went, people would then hear about what we were doing. And I used to do a thing where I would take uh, business cards and every time I'd walk by a bookstore, I would put business cards in copies of Born <laughs> to Run. <laughs> That's great. I love that marketing idea. That's very so, clever. So obviously, so you've got some unique styles, unique brands or, or unique designs to the, mm -hmm. the shoes. Are you the one who's creating all of that? Are you? <clears throat> no, this is the, um, this is one of the moments of unimaginable luck is that a friend of ours is walking his dog, uh, which he normally didn't do, normally his wife did. And his dog bumped into another dog that was on the other end of that leash, a couple dogs. On the other end of those leashes was a guy named Dennis Driscoll, who normally didn't walk his dogs, normally his wife did. So while the yeah. dogs were doing this, the guy started talking. Our friend says, what do you do? Dennis said, I'm the chief product designer at Crocs, and I've been in footwear oh, wow. for 40 years. And our friend said, oh, you know, my friend Stephen and Lena have a shoe company, which at that time was not really true. We had a yeah. selling sheets of rubber and string to make sandals company. Yeah. So I sat on Dennis's phone number that, you know, he gave to our friend for months until thinking, why would he want to talk to me? And then I called him up. We got together for lunch and we just had a, a, an amazing time. And he had tried our sandals and said, these things changed my life. Mm -hmm. So I said, someday it would be great to work with someone like you, but probably 30 years earlier in their career. He goes, well, what about me? I said, you've been working for Crocs and DKNY and Converse and Wilson. I don't think I can afford you. He goes, I just retired. I went, you're on. So, <laughs> um, so Dennis happily came on board. He's our chief product officer. We have a senior designer. We have our factories come up with ideas and I come up with ideas as well. So there's a lot of things that are built into all of our products that were ideas that I came up with because I knew nothing about shoes, but mm -hmm. I understand biomechanics and feet and movement. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Dennis and Josh and our factories, uh, it, it's a combined effort. We, we involve everybody in our company in some of the design process. So, but the, the 
the impetus, the the initial thing comes typically from Dennis and Josh primarily and me. I'm looking around at the ones that I did. It's like one, two, three. There's like four four that are me that I started with, and then a bunch yeah. that are Dennis. That's that's amazing. You talked a little bit about the you know the biomechanics and that of the foot and running and that. Talk a little bit about why your shoes are you know better for movement and better for the the foot. Sure. Well. All they're doing is getting out of the way so you can use your body naturally. The, if you, we don't have much of a sense of history or memory. So prior to 1970, most footwear really looked like ours. Low to the ground. Um, here, wait, I'll, I'll grab one for anyone who might be seeing something. You know, low to the ground for balance and agility, super, super flexible, really lightweight, really thin. Uh, the really thin part is new. If you look at old shoes like Chuck Taylor's or Vans, they, have, they tend to be much, much thicker and stiffer and heavier. But the idea is that your body works really well if you let it. And there's zero evidence that the designs built into modern athletic footwear, wait, let me grab one of those. You know, something like this with a big elevated heel, a whole bunch of padding, a pointy toe, super stiff. None of those things have been proven to be beneficial. In fact, quite the opposite. So we, what we're doing is letting you, your feet are supposed to bend and move and flex and feel. You have a quarter of the bones and joints of your whole body in your feet and ankles and more nerve endings in your soles than anywhere but your fingertips and lips. So you're supposed to use those things for balance and mobility and agility. And the feeling part is really important. If your brain can't feel what's happening with your feet, it doesn't know how to use the rest of your body. So we're trying to make footwear that lets your feet do their job so the rest of your body can do its job. Because if your feet can't do their job, all that function about balance, agility, mobility tries, tries unsuccessfully to move upstream to your ankle, your knee, your hip, and your back. So we're just, again, getting out of the way to let your muscles, ligaments, and tendons be the natural springs and shock absorbers that they are that's better than any man-made material that's ever been invented. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. What are some of the common mistakes that you, or not mistakes, but uh, injuries that you are finding that your shoes and again, allowing everything to move properly and, and that, what are some of the, the common injuries that people are suffering from that your shoes potentially you know, would, so, uh, would help correct? So I'm not a doctor. I can't play one on TV or the internet. I, um, we don't have some science to back up some things that people say. So that this is a giant caveat. We're not a medical device. We're not making any medical claims or promises. Caveat, caveat, caveat. Mm -hmm. Here's what I can tell you people report is they report things like plantar fasciitis, hip pain, back pain, knee pain going away. And they, or mostly they report things like I'm standing up all day at my job or I'm walking or running or hiking or doing whatever I do and enjoying it or I'm pain-free for the first time ever or in years, <clears throat> excuse me. And again, it's not from what we're doing as much as that we're getting out of the way and just giving you something to protect the bottom of your foot and something to hold that on for various activities that you might do from taking a walk to climbing Kilimanjaro or running across Madagascar. Mm -hmm. So the, the, what I can tell you, um, there's research from Dr. Isabel Sacco in Brazil where she took a bunch of elderly women, put minimalist footwear on their feet and said, just walk around in these and their knee osteoarthritis went away. Dr. Sarah Ridge, her research showed that by wearing minimalist footwear and just walking, you build foot muscle strength as much as if you did a foot exercise program. There's research showing that if you put arch support in the shoes of healthy athletes, within 12 weeks, they lose up to 17% of the muscle mass in their feet. Oh, so wow. there's lots of research showing 
that if you immobilize your foot, which is a bunch of joints, mm -hmm. same thing happens to your foot as what would happen if you immobilized your elbow with a cast on your arm, it gets weaker and useless over time. Mm -hmm. The good news is you can build strength and balance and agility and mobility very easily by just letting your feet do what they're supposed to do. It's really just use it or lose it is the fundamental idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are some of the, the things that you would attribute that helped the most in your success, you know, building, building a successful business. What luck, are some of those luck, things luck, that you luck, 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 yeah. luck, luck. What, what, what I say, and I'm, I'm being barely glib when I say this. So um, when I was in film school, one of our teachers was a very well-known director, Milos Forman. And somebody said, how do you make a good movie? And Milos in his Czech accent says, well, you know, making movies uh, easy. It's a uh, 90% casting. And the other 10% is uh, casting. And so I say with business, it's 90% luck. And the other 10% is also luck. And then there's a whole other 100% that's 90% is working your butt off. And the other 10% is hopefully being smart enough to know how to put out the fires that started overnight, despite the fact that nothing changed since yesterday. Yeah. So it, it, you know, it's a massive combination of unimaginable lucky coincidence thing. Look, the biggest one is that somehow I'm married to my wife. She avoided me like the plague for the first few years that we knew each other and then decided that I was, uh, I was okay marriage material somehow. Mm -hmm. I, there's a lot in between those two things, but you know, that's the short version. And, um, and were it not for her, this wouldn't happen because I'm a product marketing guy. She's an operations finance person. Okay. And we had never been in business together. We'd never actually worked from the time that we knew each other because we were basically retired from the time we got together. And so um, the, the uh, unbelievable good fortune of being married to this wonderful, brilliant woman is number one. And then the fact that, that you know, I got back into running around the time that this whole barefoot movement started mm -hmm. and I happen to be making products and I happen to know how to make websites. And I mean, just, you know, one after another, after another, just dominoes of luck knocking each other down. Mm -hmm. That's that's interesting. Uh, what are some of the what were some of the challenges? Obviously, you're you're creating a physical product, right? So, oh yeah, you know, what are some of the challenges that you ran into, you know, with manufacturing and and all uh, of that? I mean, shooting myself in the head. You know, making things is hard. Making footwear is unbelievably hard. Yeah, it's still lots of humans involved. So lots of things that could go wrong. There's no way around that. We're not being exploitative, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, we our factories pay people exceptionally well, but it, it's it's just really hard to make. And especially with our shoes, because with most shoes where there's lots of layers of things, mm -hmm. you can hide your mistakes. Mm -hmm. But with something as simple as this, you, everything's right in front of your face. You can't hide your mistakes. And we're asking factories to do something different than exactly. what they do millions of times yeah. you know, a, a day or a week or a year otherwise. And so that's really challenging. Our, our first product that we made ourselves was just the, the sole for our do-it-yourself sandal kit. Mm -hmm. And the first batch we got, the lefts and the rights weighed different amounts and were different thicknesses. Mm -hmm. the, the bigger ones, which should have more material, weighed less than some of the smaller ones, which made no sense. And we complained to our factory and they said, uh, take it or leave it. And they wow. kicked us out. So that was uh, a problem. One of our advisors, someone who'd been in footwear for her whole life said, you know, it happens to everyone. I'm sorry it happened to you on the first try. Mm -hmm. So there's that. The other thing that's interesting just about the footwear industry is everybody thinks their feet are kind of normal-ish but there's no such thing as normal. There's just a giant bell curve with people on either end of the extremes. For any given size nine, let's say, mm -hmm. put about 108 different foot shapes and wow. everyone thinks that they're, they're normal. So you can't make something that fits everybody. You just try to make something that fits as many people as you can, which is what we do. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
and hopefully get big enough to accommodate more people as we have the ability to do that. But it's, it, it's um, man, it is a really, really challenging business. One thing about it, I'll, I'll toss out people once a week, I get an email from someone saying, you know, why are you making these in China? And the answer is because that's where 98.5% of all athletic footwear is made and it's never going anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And I say, I would love to make it things in America, but it's literally not possible for, our, for us to make our products here in the same way. It's literally not possible for us to have, find a domestically made version of the device that we're using to have this conversation. Mm -hmm. yep. And go, well, if you wanted to, I go, no, 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 no. To open up a factory would cost billions of dollars. Yeah. And um, and then all the materials would still be coming from Asia because that's where they come from. Yep. Like, why don't you move to Vietnam? Well, Vietnam, they're not as good at making shoes and all the materials still come from China. China has been the place to make footwear since the early 70s. Mm -hmm. And experts say that if it was going to move back to America, it would take decades and billions and billions in subsidies from the government. And then, of course, the big shoe companies would have access to that equipment well before we would. Yeah. So it's just not it's just not viable. And we're always looking for ways to make things better, for ways to make it easier for us, which would be making domestically yeah, if we could. So it's an evolving thing, but not evolving. How do I want to say this? Human beings have one interesting problem. If we can imagine it, we assume it's real or true or possible, but sometimes mm -hmm. it's just not, or at the very least, it's much harder. So when people just imagine, well, you just make it in America, it's like, yeah, yeah, not so simple. But there are things that we're experimenting. And, and people think that quality is better if you make it in America. And that's not true either. Mm -hmm. um, we've actually worked with a rubber manufacturer here to see if we could bring some of our manufacturing for some of our products back. And it's taken them two years and they still can't make the rubber correctly. Yeah, interesting. And I, I have to say too, I, that was actually one of the things that I was concerned about, you know, buying shoes off the internet when I, when I first bought mine you know, are these things just going to fall apart? You know, they, they, they look cool. I like the, the messaging behind them, but I, I mean, I can absolutely tell you that I've, I've had mine, I think now for three years, three and a half years, I wear them literally every day. Like I said, the only, the only times when I switch between the shoes and the sandals is just because of the, the cold and the weather. Mm -hmm. But I mean, they're, they're just fantastic. I, I absolutely love them. So now that, that said, again, you know, this is manufacturing. Manufacturing is not a hundred percent perfect process. Mm -hmm. So, which is why we have a 24 month manufacturer's warranty things go wrong, we're, you know, we stand behind what we do. It, you just can't make something perfectly 100% of the time. With footwear, there's some things where you can, because you can do certain kinds of testing before it leaves the factory. But footwear, I mean, boy, there's no other product that we use that gets beaten up as much as our shoes. And yeah. you just can't accommodate, you know, everything all the time the way you would like or the way we imagine. Yeah. So, so you mentioned you're using a factory that makes, you know, many other types of shoes. So I, I know a lot of product manufacturers basically take that exact same path where they, you know, go in and approach a factory that, you know, is already making something, you know, very similar to theirs or, you know, even just in the, the same uh, industry. What were some of the things that you found were the most difficult part to, to change <laughs> and modify, you know, from the way that they all were used to doing it for all of it? Everything. Uh, everything? Yeah. Well, um, let me let me back up by saying, we, again, we've been unbelievably lucky. So early on when we were just doing our DIY stuff, or we met these people who said we'd start it with you, they introduced us to an outsole manufacturer in Korea, the one that did things wrong. And that was problematic. And so when we got fired by that factory, it just so happened that we had a copy of a footwear industry magazine sitting on our kitchen table. And the cover story was about an, a footwear manufacturing agent in New York. So we reached out to him and his company and 
for reasons that to this day, I can't even fathom, they decided to take us on as clients. We were tiny, 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 mm -hmm. just making sheets of rubber, you know, effectively. And for some reason, they decided to work with us. Um, and even more, I found out years later that they had called around asking about us to hmm. a bunch of people in the industry who all said really nice things about us, yeah. which um, I'm very flattered by. And so that, I guess that's part of it. Uh, so we've, we've been working with them now for nine years, eight or nine years. Mm -hmm. And so they're the interface between us and the factories. And that's got pluses and minuses. I mean, they're taking an additional commission. We're pretty confident they're getting a kickback from the factories too that we don't know about. But getting the factories to do what we asked has been unbearable. Here's my favorite story. I developed a product that was really unusual. And we gave it to it to five or six different factories to try to make it. And just, you know, each iteration that we got was worse than the next or worse than the previous. So finally I said, can you send me a video showing how they're doing this? Cause I got a sneaking suspicion. I'm good at figuring things out. I'll figure out what the problem is. Mm -hmm. So the agents, two American guys, they show up, my wife and I and Dennis, our product guy, we're sitting uh, out in our backyard around the patio table. They, before they even play the video, the thumbnail of the video, I look at it and I say, you can't make this product on that equipment. It's not possible, I assure you. They go, ah, let's just you know, watch the video. So we're watching the video and there's the woman at the sewing machine and there's the guy who's her manager and there's the guy who's filming and they're having a conversation in Chinese. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, seriously, man, you can't make it on this equipment. It's just not gonna happen. They go, just give us one more try. We're sure we can get it. Okay, so they leave, but they leave us the video and Dennis's wife is from Taiwan. She speaks fluent Mandarin. Okay. So he brings the video back to her and she goes, oh yeah, let me tell you what they're saying. They're saying, why do they keep asking us to make this product? You can't do it on this kind of equipment. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. So, yeah. so if you, did you find a new factory that already had the equipment or did you have to, you know, custom no, build equipment? That product, we've actually been sitting on it for eight years because it's going to require a completely new type of manufacturing okay. to do what I'm looking to do. Uh, and we don't have enough money to spend the probably million dollars to figure out how to do it yet. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So, so what's next for zero? What do you, or do you guys have anything you're excited about that? Everything. Yeah. So, I mean, we keep coming up with new products that are blended. I mean, the stuff that's in the pipeline for the fall of this year and spring and fall of next year are amazing. The stuff we just launched is incredible. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing is that we brought on a private equity partner back in December and they've given us some resources to really help grow the business, both direct online domestically and internationally, and through wholesale and distribution, domestically and internationally. And they, I mean, we're hiring some unbelievably talented people in the next month. And I think there's only like one or two more that we need to really turn the team into a group of people who know how to make a very, very big multinational company that can help millions and millions of people. Mm -hmm. And so that's super exciting. There's another thing that's gonna sound weird when I tell you it's exciting but it is, we're seeing more big companies steal ideas from us. Oh, interesting. So I saw someone sent me a picture of a shoe from a company. I, I'm not sure if I can mention the name. Let's just say that it's rhymes with Mikey. And <laughs> the Mikey Shoe Company had a design element. Not only does the design element be, look exactly like we have in one of our shoes, it's the same material. I mean, they use the same material, wow. the same design element. There's a, a store in, or a chain of stores in, in Europe that completely took one of our sandals and made a, one minor change to it. 
but the sole you can put them next to each other. It's the same thing. Yeah. I mean, they they practically they reverse engineered our mold, and their their origin story is well, we couldn't find what we wanted. We worked with a bunch of biomechanical engineers, like nonsense. You copied it from us. <laughs> Could not be more obvious. Yeah. And then another sandal company here in America, we were next to them at a trade show and they had a 20 foot by 20 foot picture of a product with, again, um, design elements taken directly from us. And wow. I take that as a good sign. If yeah. multi-billion dollar companies are stealing ideas from us, you know, we're onto something. <laughs> yeah, no, completely agree. You know, there's always the story, you know, the first to market, right? You know, you guys, yeah. you guys uh, already have had, you know, many, many years in this, in this industry. So and I, like I said, I, I absolutely love them as well. So if, uh, if people want to learn more about your products, you, what would be the best way to, to get in touch? We are at zeroshoes.com. That's X-E-R-O-shoes.com. Or if your computer autocorrects to Z-E-R-O, that'll still get to us as well. And there's a whole story about that. And then we're at zero shoes or slash zero shoes on whatever social media channel you like to at or slash. Very cool. And actually, I'm, I'm curious about that story. You know, the, oh, do, do you actually have zero.com as well? The Z-E-R-O? No, oh, no. I was going to say. What happened, someone owned zeroshoes.com, Z-E-R-O. And I said, you know, how much do you want for it? And he says, $50,000. I said, seriously, he goes, okay, $60,000. It's like, oh, Christ. So I said, look, you can't sell it to anybody because if you do, there's no question that it's basically just trying to infringe on our trademark and create confusion. And then eventually he sold it to somebody. It happened to be a company that just acquires domain names and resells it. And they were here in Denver, right down the street. Mm -hmm. And so I emailed them and I said, look, I could file a petition with the organization that manages domain names and, and get it for $2,000 and you would make nothing on it. Or I could give you $500 right now. And mm -hmm. they said, send us the 500 bucks. Sweet. That's great. So down yeah. from 50,000. I love it. I love it. <laughs> that is fantastic. Steven, this is a great conversation. Again, many, many thanks for creating the product and uh, good luck with the new designs and the new products. And hopefully we can see at some point uh, what the, the secret product was that you were talking about as well. well. All so. secrets eventually get revealed. I just, it pains me because I hate keeping secrets. I'm not good at it, but there, I have learned that there are some things that I just need to shut up about. It's yeah. good. That's good. So, That's good. I so love much. it. Real pleasure. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.